You're listening to the Geeks Interrupted podcast. You can listen to us live every Monday night from 8 p.m. Eastern Time on 94.1 FM in Melbourne or via 3wbc.org.au. Alternatively, if you've got a smart device, you can download the TuneIn app and search for 3WBC. 94.1 FM, 3WBC. This is the Geeks Interrupted podcast and discussing the week in tech, geek, gadgets, entertainment and pop culture, it's Andy Bloom, Mark McDowell and your host, Bill Edwards. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Geeks Interrupted here on the 28th of October 2019. My name is Phil Edwards in the studio. Joining me is Andy Bloom as he has been recently. G'day Andy, how are you? Good morning, how are we doing? Excellent. On tonight's show, though, the government's facial recognition scheme plans or scheme is falling apart. We're also going to talk about it's fine to owe a fine in Victoria right now. Roaming charges are hurting an important scientific study. Beloved Australian actor Anne Phelan passes away. And we have a special interview later in the show with analytics expert Andrew Healy. So there you go. There's a bit of a, a recap of what we're doing on the show tonight. And uh, Andy, we heard you from you very briefly, but how are you going at the moment? Yeah, um, pretty well. It's been a, uh, a relaxing week. Good. Lots of time spent uh, in bed or on the couch watching Netflix or iView or not in- doing much at all. Anything in particular at the moment on, uh, on Netflix or iView that's catching your fancy? Yeah, uh, I've started uh, BoJack Horseman. Yes. Haven't watched that before. Uh, it's actually pretty good. Uh, mm. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but we'll see. Uh, and also been watching uh, a show on ABC uh, with Deborah Marman, uh, Total Control. I've heard of that. It's supposed to be very good. It is. It is really good. Mm. It's political, so yes. I, I like it. I haven't. I haven't been catching anything on TV. The only thing I've been watching is The Good Place, my half-hour show a week at the moment. But I'll be getting back into it soon. Yeah. Well, you know what kind of upsets me a bit? We'll go back to Total Control. Mm. What upsets me uh, uh, about it is... Well, not upsets me, but um, it's something I pick up and get a bit... Uh, about. Yep. It's filmed... Or, uh, it's set in Parliament House, Australian mm. Parliament House, and rather than you know build sets or use another location, they've actually filmed a lot of the scenes at Parliament House. Uh, and there's a number of scenes where the main character walks into the Senate chamber uh, through the real Senate, but uh, once she walks through those doors, she's actually in the Senate chamber at the old Parliament House. So right. clearly they either couldn't get permission to film in the chambers or it was sitting days and it didn't work. Mm. It's just these little, little things I pick up and go... Argh! You would have watched the Annabelle Crab series about a year or two ago where she did a, a documentary on yeah. the inner workings of Parliament House. 
I did. I did. And that was really awesome. Yeah, it was. I forget what it was called. The House? Yeah, The House, I think yeah. it was. Anyway, anyway um, we'll move on to our feedback and follow-up straight away. Uh, remember, you can send your emails uh, to feedback at geeksinterrupted.fm or go to our website. Um, but we will go... Uh, we've got a couple to start off with. Um, we had a tweet from Mr. Dom. He said, uh, Australia posted a complete and epic fail. I, for instance, sent a parcel to, uh, to an online uh, iPad iPhone trading place and it was a sign It was a sign-on delivery prepaid service. It's been two months and they can't track it. Their customer service don't give a crap. Mm. That's unfortunate. Indeed. So this was in response to a, a, a story, I, or a situation I had in the last couple of weeks. I spoke mm. about it on air last week uh, where I went to collect a parcel from the local uh, post office and they gave me a bit of drama because the package said Andy, because I go by Andy most of the time, but my ID says Andrew and it didn't match so they wanted to cause drama. I have an update yes. on that. Because um, I think we, I didn't, don't think we talked about it on air, but you probably would have seen the feedback that I provided mm. Australia Post. I wasn't very complimentary in in what I what I said, and was I was quite blunt in my displeasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't repeat it, unfortunately. But um, it uh, rhymes with blunt. No, I didn't actually. Okay, uh, I, I was a bit restrained in that respect, um, but uh, it. Let's hope they give a clock. Right. So, uh, I had another parcel sent to my parcel locker, and I had to go collect it again. And this was because they had no available parcel lockers. And one of the workers there started up with the, oh, your ID doesn't match, blah, blah, blah. So I arced up as well. Uh, She said, just let me go get the supervisor. He wanders over, takes one look at me and goes, oh, it's you. You again. Just give him the parcel. So, is this from a post office or is it from a um, like a sorting delivery center? Sometimes they do have a window where you can collect things. Uh, both. It, it's it's more. <coughs> it's, it's called a business hub. Right. Uh, so it's. I think it's where the local. This is in Hoppers Crossing. Mm. So it's not a retail store. It's predominantly a, a a sorting facility or for the general area, I guess. Um, and I think they just have the, the counter and the window there because why not? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I um, Because uh, in my experience going to the retail centres, I, as I mentioned on the show recently, um, my addresses have been all over the shop because of um, interim living arrangements and that's never been an issue. But uh, the one thing I have purchased, which I'll be interested to try when I install it, is that I bought a new letterbox that has a parcel function. So you can actually put a parcel in it and it locks it away from other people getting access to it. So Mm. it'll be interesting to see if that makes a difference. Yes, because there's a big thing. It doesn't doesn't really happen here a lot, but uh, I see a lot of posts on Reddit and so forth where people will cruise the streets looking for people's parcels on doorsteps and porches and so forth and pinch them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are being recorded by cameras. They don't care. Yeah. It's like, you know, mystery package. What are we going to get? Interesting. Uh, We'll go back. We'll continue with our feedback. Uh, We got an email from Rebecca. She said, I thought this was an interesting attempt at scamming. Not really an issue for me in Western Australia, but maybe worth 
your local listeners, listeners having uh, keeping an eye out for, so those in Melbourne. Uh, a text message came through saying, Welcome to Chadson, the fashion capital. We're aware of previous spam text messages that may have been sent to you in area. We do not send SMS of this nature. Uh, we assure you that we've been working to have our system fixed and apologise for any inconvenience. And then there's a number to contact. So that looks like a legitimate one to me, but yeah. it's obviously a follow-up to, you know, welcome to Chadson, you know, click on this link and provide your details. Yeah, so forgive me, Rebecca, I don't know if you think this, because I couldn't quite get the context of the email. Do you believe that this particular text you received is spam or they are talking about spam that you received? Mm. I know it's hard for our listeners because yes. they can't see it, but... Um, we'll get some... Should, Rebecca's in the chat room, um, chat.geeksinterrupted.fm, uh, and she'll reply there. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see that anyway. But, uh, so I was going to say, if I could very quickly, it's not normal for organisations to send out messages to say, we don't send out messages of that nature. Mm. So clearly whatever's happened, if that is a legitimate text, maybe the spam that was going out that was purporting to be them was serious enough for them to say, hey, not us, don't click it. Absolutely. Uh, following up from Rebecca's uh, email, um, a couple of weeks ago she sent in uh, to us some fat cats uh, that supporting the Perth Telethon. And that telethon was over the weekend. And it raised, Andy, $42 million, which is a pretty fine effort. Over the weekend, the annual telethon held in Perth that raises money for critical services for kids across the state. Uh, WA has done it again with a record-breaking $42,596,000 raised by the telethon, underpinned by multi-million donations from the federal and state governments and several other WA businesses. It steamed past last year's total of $38 million. And as we said, thanks for Rebecca for sending the fat cats in because the proceeds from those contributed to that total. Indeed. So the Perth Telethon, I'm guessing that's the same as our Royal Children's Hospital Good yes. Friday appeal. And rather than going to a specific hospital, I think it goes from what I can, from what I read, it goes to a lot of hospitals that look after kids right across the state of WA. Cool. And it's one of the the biggest telethons per capita, or it is the biggest telethon money raised wise per capita in the world. Well, because forty-two million—that's a lot of money. I think yeah. uh, when you consider that uh, you know Perth is, or the population of Perth is one of the smaller. Um, yes, absolutely. Smaller cities, major cities. Um, good on them, because I think our our children's hospital appeal hits what is it about thirteen, fourteen, fifteen million? Uh, it's yes, a, it's around that. Hmm, that's impressive. Absolutely. Um, Rebecca said that uh, the message came from a mobile number uh, and saying that they were from Chatty. The one thing I would do is check the phone number that's listed in there to see if that's legitimately linked to Chadston. Yeah, I, I think the message that she's sent a screenshot of is a legitimate message. Yes, but it's probably a follow-up from scam messages. Yes. But I haven't searched the, the telephone number on there anyway. Uh, final item in our feedback and follow-up. Australia's retail banking sector and payment systems operators will no longer be able to fudge outage severity figures or manipulate uptime performance stats under a fresh crackdown by regulators aimed at in arresting crippling software glitches. And this, this is a follow-up, of course, to our discussion last week about 
the CBA, I think, went down for a quite a period of time. The powerful Payment Systems Board, whose members include the chairs of the Reserve Bank of Australia and the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, or APRA, has revealed it makes uh, it will make outage data um, it collects public. The move will end decades of banks' payment schemes. Banks, payment schemes, and telecoms carriers are hiding behind incoherent, like me, jumble of performance stats generated by each institution that have prevented regulators gaining a cohesive picture of stymied compensation claims. The move comes as millions of Australians spent Monday waiting for funds to finally clear four days after a massive outage at CBA because of widespread dependence on legacy batch systems by the other big four banks and smaller institutions. In sublime irony, the revelation new crackdown broke cover on the same day as the CBA's outage that left millions unable to transfer funds between accounts using uh, either CBA's mobile app or its NetBank portal. Uh, as reported uh, in the press last week, financial regulators, in particularly the RBA, have been quietly forcing banks to submit data on their outages, including downtime services, downtime services affected severity and causation, to a standardised format to create a centralised picture of patterns. So yeah, interesting stuff. And I also noticed, and I can't remember how much it was, but CBA actually did provide credit. A $50 credit. Yes. Depending, and I think not to everyone, but it was those who were directly impacted. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a Commonwealth Bank customer. I mean, I do have an investment account with them, transaction account, but I yep. don't use it. It's just really attached to the share trading account. Um, I did not receive 50 bucks, but I wasn't impacted. I didn't expect to receive anything anyway. I don't really uh, understand the criteria, though, that they've used to determine who gets the 50 bucks. Because some people have said, my money, I've read posts, people have said, my money has been tied up, haven't been able to access it, they did not receive a credit. Uh, Other people who said, well, I had money in there, didn't try to access it, the the, the outage didn't impact me, but they gave me 50 bucks. Sweet, free 50 bucks. So, don't know how they've determined who, who does and who doesn't. Um, maybe it's going by transactions, pending transactions. Who knows? Yes. Um, I was just having a look. It says on its updates page, it was confirmed that uh, CBA were making payments to customers, but it suggested these were reimbursements, fees, and charges incurred, not compensation for the inconvenience caused. It is understood, however, the fifty dollars is being offered as a gesture of goodwill to CBA customers who weren't able to receive receive payments prior to the weekend. Accounts identified by the bank as not receiving payments in time were sent the sum on the night of the twenty second of October. But anyone who believes they are affected by the adage should contact the Commonwealth Bank. So there you go. Mm. So, but back to that story <coughs> though. Um, so all this data is now going to be made public. Yes. What I don't get is what data is going to be made public. It's going to be basically a uh, a post-mortem on what happened, what failed. Uh, no, I think it, what it will be is that it, it, a bank might say, we have uptime of 95.99% or whatever the figure is. Um, and uh, another bank will say, well, we've got 99.9%. But the way that they calculate those uptime figures may be different. So the regulator is saying, well, provide us with the data. We will have it in a consistent format so that you can make a fair comparison 
to banks on that because they might say, well, our core systems have a hundred percent uptime, but that might be the back end. But then their, you know, their uh, interfaces to, you know, customer banking like NetBank or, you know, FPOS terminals or payment systems might have a different measure. So it's making it consistent in a way that it's easy to compare the different banks together. I don't know what the criteria is, but that's the way I would say it. Yeah, the average person's not going to go and compare based on those metrics. Oh, no, no, I agree. But but at least there will be the tools for them to compare if they so choose. It's like in the United States, car manufacturers have to um, publish uh, uh, warranty claims, um, the level of warranty claims they get against their product. Where in Australia, I don't believe they have to. So, yes. Um, if you'd like to contribute to Geeks Interrupted, as we said before, feedback at geeksinterrupted.fm or you can jump onto our... Uh, social media feeds. Andy, we're on Twitter and Instagram. At Geeks On Air. We're also at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Geeks Interrupted. As we said, the chat room is underway and we've got plenty of people in there tonight. A green cow, which is Rebecca, so um, has sent that through. uh, Daniel is in there, supposedly. I think he's playing Twitch. Uh, Gus, Ingeniumt, Jay Byron, Collada, Vince Butler, Zoe, are all in there as well. And JLV was in there a few minutes ago um, suggesting that we... Um, uh, they, he, uh, they have a thing saying that we have a, a lube discussion count, um, which because we've mentioned the 44-gallon drum of lube in the past. Now, while I've said that word twice, because it's in the same sentence, it's not a separate reference. So we've done it once, and we won't do it again for the rest of the episode. Are you happy with that? Cool. Excellent. Anyway, it's now time to jump in to the news by pressing this. Good one. Interesting new title I just put in there anyway. Uh, first First up is that the federal government have plans for a... Federal government's plans for a national facial recognition scheme... Uh, in disarray after a bipartisan committee ordered the legislation to be completely redrafted due to privacy and transparency concerns. The Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, handily uh, uh, abbreviated to PJCIS, sounds like a, uh, a show on Channel 10, has handed down its report on the Coalition's Identity Matching Services, or IMS, Bill and Australian Passports Amendment, another one, IMS, uh, the Identity Matching Services Bill, on Thursday morning. For the first time in nearly two decades, the powerful committee sent the government's legislation back to the drawing board to address a series of privacy and transparency issues. The IMS bill paves the way for the secure, automated and accountable exchange of identity information between the Commonwealth, State and Territory governments. And it was the main focus of the inquiry. The legislation, which was first introduced to Parliament more than 18 months ago, aimed to create a national biometrics database with data provided by state and territory governments under a COAG agreement to be used by various authorities, agencies and departments. So much was wrong with the bills that they cannot be fixed with mere amendments, the committee said. While the committee supports the aims of the IMS bill, the bill would need a significant amount of redrafting and not simple amending to be in a position where the committee would fully support the bill itself, it said. A government spokesman confirmed the legislation would be reassessed. The committee has made recommendations and will be worked with the PJCIS to legislate these laws, the spokesperson said. 
So um, it, do, it doesn't talk specifically about what the issues are, but obviously the transparency issues about different uh, state and uh, territory governments getting access to that data was a concern. There's two takeaways. One is the bill that they've put forward is a shambles, clearly, but there's not a resistance to having a bill. It's just it's in its current form. So it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Um, okay, I haven't looked at the bill. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the major concerns were or what the the main points of the bill you know, that stood out, that uh, that raised those flags. I am very, very surprised, though, that the committee have basically come back and said, no, not going to happen. Take it back. Fix it. Come and talk to and, us And again. it is a bipartisan committee, too. So yes. even members of the government's own um, uh, a, a cohort have said, no, nah, it's not mm. going to happen. Now, do we know which minister is behind this? Is this another one of uh, Dutton's things? Uh, I'm. I would suggest that it probably is. Yeah, look, probably a good th- look. It's a good thing that this has been sent back, regardless. Um, it is a bit of a concern in, in recent times the amount of uh, the legislation that is being introduced and passed by our current government, particularly those that uh, Dutton is behind. Okay. Uh, it's probably a good thing that because they've been just about push through whatever they want. They've got the majority in the lower and upper houses. There's no resistance. They just push through whatever they want uh, without uh, a great deal of resistance and very little public comment either. I mean, you get the Greens and so forth um, saying this is bad. They vote against it, but they're in a very, very, very small minority, mm. you know. And no one, unfortunately, no one listens to the Greens. The Labor, Labor members tend to side with... Um, Liberals most of the time, unfortunately, on these particular issues. Probably a good thing that they're being told, no, this needs to be fixed. Um, in my mind, it is uh, members of the committee saying, you just, you're taking the piss. Now, how, mo- how many more liberties do you want to take with people's privacy and freedoms and, and so forth? So I think, I think and th- here, I'll read a, a section from this article that probably gives a, not specifics, but a little bit more background. It says, Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus congratulated the PJCIS members for putting the national interest first and sending a strong message about the value of this committee and criticised the government for the state of legislation. Uh, quote, the potential implications of these two new facilities for the privacy of all Australians are profound. These Those implications do not appear to have been considered by the Minister for Home Affairs or his department. So there you go. Um, uh, Dutton. Uh, a central concern surrounding legislation was that it would pave the way for mass surveillance, and this was raised by many submitters to the committee's inquiry. Mr. Dreyfus said that while Labor did not believe this was the government's intentions with the bill, they did not do enough to prevent the possibility of this. Um, it said, if there is no intention for the proposed identity matching services to be used to engage in mass surveillance activities, the government should not object to amending the bill to ensure that those services cannot, as a matter of law, be used in that manner. So I think it's one of those situations that, while the intention probably is not there to do a mass surveillance, if there's no safeguards, then, you know, there's no... 
Nothing's stopping them from doing that anyway. Yes. Now, last week, and we've spoken about this quite a, quite a, quite a number of times, um, but last week we spoke about the UK, and they were dropping their plans to introduce a verification system to access online pornography. Uh, there was a story that appeared in uh, ZDNet uh, today, which says that Home Affairs, the same department, are pushing that face-matching platform uh, for porn verification in Australia. There you go. Um, clearly, they've learnt nothing from the UK. Do you have to have an O face like when you, <laughs> you like? Oh! You can. Right. Okay. Um, but does that mean yeah. that every time you use your passport, you have to make the same face? They <laughs> <laughs> have to update the, pass- the passport fo- yeah. photograph. Oh! Anyway. Um, yeah. Clearly, um, like this government have no idea. Dutton has no idea. Um, the UK abandoned the porn verification because it was, wasn't feasible both on a technical level and a practical level. Um, it's not going to work here either. Simple as that. Mm. Oh. Lots of references in the chat room to Department of Potato Affairs. And uh, because of Mr. Dutton's uh, involvement there, uh, it is worth noting, though, that... Um, Audi, on their special buyers this week, do have Mr. Potato Heads for sale if you wish to get one. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see the amendments that are made to the the proposed legislation, the bill, and how they will eventually pass, because I think they will in some way. Next uh, on item on the agenda, Victorian government uh, uh, owed millions of is owed millions of dollars in fines because their system is cactus. Data issues with Victoria's new fines IT system are hampering the state government's ability to collect hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from more than one hundred twenty thousand outstanding fines. Reports uh, reports of the emerged multi-million hole in the state finances last week, caused by a backlog of fines in the Infringements Enforcement Warrant system or VIEW, Victorian Infringement enforcement warrant system that cannot be enforced. The system was introduced to replace the state's legacy infringement warrant system. It is central to the state's fines management model and allows citizens to review and pay fines. But issues with this system developed by Civica at the cost of $103 million have meant that some citizens aren't aware of infringement notice being served. The amounts of outstanding fines are, um, from more than 120,000 citizens is estimated at between $328 and $700 million. Spokesperson for the Department of Justice and Community Safety told IT News that although the system was operational, there had been an issue merging the court fine system into view. Uh, due to some complexity of merging data from the courts into the fines Victoria system, Victorians who have not paid their court fines at the court or at a justice centre have not yet received a reminder noticed. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, uh, so from what I've read, this is impacting uh, civil fines. So we're talking things like traffic infringements, um, uh, Mikey, public transport fines, things like that. And from what I've read, there's a number of people who uh, have not received initial penalty notices. Uh, They've got no idea that they owe money or have a fine, anything like that. There's an uh, infringement notice outstanding. Um, they only find out once um, uh, the penalties have applied because if you ignore the penalty, mm. you know they add on fees and so forth. Um, 
So they might get, uh, you know, the third and final notice. You are going to be arrested and dragged off to Dutton's jail if you don't pay. And that's the first I know of it. Um, one story I did read was a gent who was in a similar situation, took uh, his uh, very nasty letter into Fines Victoria, or whatever they're called at the moment, uh, tried to pay, and they had no record of him in the system. Great. Yeah, so whatever's going on, uh, they have really, really cocked up this system. Uh, however, there was an article uh, in, I think it was in Fairfax, which said that they've employed additional staff for the sole purpose of getting the system back up and running. Right. At a very, very high cost. Yeah, I can imagine it would be. To me, that sounds like bad project management and someone not doing a scoping document very well when uh, they initially were tendering for the project because if they're paying more money for it, Mm. that means that uh, someone didn't do their job properly. Yes, but I do know that a lot of, not a lot, but some of the uh, local councils have uh, really got the hump over this because a lot of their revenue comes from things like parking fines and things like that. Mm. Um, but all those fines are administered, at least in part, by this authority. And they're not getting paid, so they're losing revenue. So I think City of Yarra or City of Port Phillip uh, one of the two, and I'm happy to be corrected on that, they've indicated they're looking at legal action to get the money that they're owed. Of course owed. they will. Because, you know, greedy local councils. Yes, yes. I could tell you a few stories about those uh, in my situation at the moment. But anyway, mm. we might move on to the next topic and then take a short break. Uh, next one is Optus stuffs up by publishing thousands of mobile numbers in outdated directory. Tens of thousands of Optus customers have had their mobile phone numbers and addresses mistakenly published online. Optus has told nearly 50,000 customers that their name, address, mobile and home phone numbers were wrongly published in the white pages run by census against the customer's wishes. The data breach was discovered by Optus during a routine audit of 10 million numbers. About 40,000 of those people were new customers whose details were already breached. The majority of the affected customers' details were already listed with Census prior to joining Optus. Census insisted that this was not the case, saying it was an Optus issue. Of course they would. Personal details have been scrubbed from the White Pages online directory, but they remain published in printed copies of the phone directory. So in other words, no one's going to see them, because I don't know anyone that uses the White Pages printed copy, let alone... Mm. A non-printed copy. Uh, Optus has notified and apologised to its all its customers affected in the breach. We're getting in touch because we've mistakenly released some of your details to Census. Your name, uh, the below address and phone number resulting in them being published. So um, Optus regularly reviews and orders our processes to ensure customers' information is managed securely, a, a spokeswoman for the phone company said in a statement. <sighs> It's an interesting one, this. And because the way that phone numbers are handled have changed over the years. Because you used used to specifically say, I would like a silent number, particularly in the telecom days and up until recently, um, where not only was that number not published in directories, but when when caller ID became a thing and you called it, it would not show the number on the display. Um, and you paid for that. Now you have the option of saying, do you want it listed in the directory or not? And you can just go, no. Mm. Um, but when you make a call to another person, the phone number shows up and things like that. So it's not a, it's just an unpublished number rather than a secret 
number. Yes. But it's still not a good breach. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember the days, as you mentioned, where you would effectively opt out. You had to pay for the privilege mm. of not having your phone number unlisted. Um, look, I for one are quite private in that respect. I, yeah. don't, I don't want my details available online in the phone book or whatever. Uh, these days, uh, uh, having an unlisted or silent number is free of charge. Mm. Uh, I was with uh, INET. Um, they were handling my local phone at one point. Um, interesting, when Telstra announced that we're not going to be charging for unlisted numbers anymore, it's now free of charge, uh, and that will filter through to all of our, um, our wholesale partners, INET was one of the few who didn't pass it on. They continued to charge. Cool. So, yes, there's a bit of a barney with them about that, but yes. uh, I like getting into barneys with people. Australia Post, INET, you. It's all right. Yeah. Um, but going back to this particular incident, um, not with Optus because they're, they're morons, but I can see how a mistake can happen. It shouldn't happen. But when you're dealing with technology and databases and things like that, things are going to go bad. One of the I had a discussion with someone about this, and they said, "Who cares? Your name and your phone number has been published in in a phone book and potentially online. Who cares?" Well, yes, you may not care, but there are people out there who have uh, suppressed their details for a reason. Vulnerable people. Absolutely. Um, there may be people who are intentionally hiding for legitimate reasons yeah. um, and have, you know, a cause for those details to be unpublished. And for Optus to be so careless and say, yeah, made a mistake, sorry, what can you do? Yeah, should pretty poor. Two things occur, one by um, removing... One, like I think you, you, there's an option when you sign up for a service, do you want it listed and you tick yes or no? Are we in a situation where it should just always be opt-out? And one of the issues with the phone book is that yeah, they've cleared the online directory, but you know the, the paper one is now forever mm. listed. Um, but by making it all free of charge, have we devalued the service, if that makes sense. So if that was, everyone was paying $5 a month to not have their details listed and Optus did that, you'd be like, you know, I'm going to start um, suing and wanting refunds and compensation. But now it's like, eh, you shouldn't have done it, but what recourse do we have? Yeah, I see your point. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I'm just saying because it's, we've just chosen not to and they've published it anyway, have we effectively lost their right to compl not complain, get some sort of recourse? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, let's look at Telstra, though. Uh, when Telstra announced the decision to uh, cease charging for the, in quotes, the privilege of a silent number or suppressed number, um, again, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I believe that it was from position of social responsibility. Yep. They said that uh, majority of people who tend to suppress the number are those who are vulnerable in some way, and it's unfair to charge them. It, there's too much we put them through to prove that they need to have their number suppressed 
and provide the service free of charge. It's easier now just to say it's free of charge for everyone. Problem solved. Um, that said, just because something's free, like you've said, doesn't devalue it. Oh, no, it no, doesn't no. give Optus or Telstra or whoever it is the right to say, you can't touch us as a result. And look, let's be fair, nothing's going to happen. Uh, no, no, I totally, I totally agree with you in that. But that's what I'm saying. That I think that's my point was that nothing's going to happen, but is nothing going to happen because people didn't pay for it? Like there, there's that, not that in there, there, there's not a financial inducement to these companies. Maybe they should have a penalty put on them by the ACMA as part of a telecommunications guarantee that if you publish this information when you've specifically not had to, you have to provide compensation to your clients. Yeah, but keep in mind the ACMA are bound by legislation. They can't really make up their own rules. No, no, no. I, no but I, I agree. But nothing's going to happen. At best, if people were paying for this service, all that's going to happen is they get a month or two for free, which doesn't fix anything. Doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. I'll have to have a look. I was just trying to see if I could log into my... Uh uh, my uh, ISP account to see if it has that option to tick yes or no as an ongoing type thing. I know when you sign up it does, but... Okay, we're talking about um, Aussie broadband? Yes. Because I have a VoIP service. I think you were talking about the yeah. same thing. I have a VoIP service. I signed up for a VoIP service because it was free with Aussie broadband. And I remember asking them, can we make sure that the number is suppressed and unlisted because uh, I don't want my details published? And the response was, uh, yeah, that's no problem. Uh, everything through Aussie Broadband is unlisted by default. You actually have to opt in. Mm, I'll have a look at that during the break. Mm. Interesting. Anyway, we might take a very quick break on Geeks Interrupted. If you are listening to us live, jump on the chat room, chat.geeksinterrupted.fm, and we'll be back with more after this. Geeks Interrupted. Because Australian media can never have enough opinionated white guys with overinflated egos. That's it. Welcome back to Geeks Interrupted here on 94.1 FM 3WBC and streaming live around the world via 3WBC.org.au or geeksinterrupted.fm. You can also get onto it there as well. We're talking about uh, telcos and uh, uh, the Optus's decision, inadvertently of course, to publish uh, numbers when they're um, supposedly unlisted. But now... We'll talk about roaming charges, not specifically in Australian context, though. Scientists rang the alarm earlier this month when several endangered uh, steppy eagles uh, transmitting coordinates via Russian mobile phone numbers wandered into the roaming zone after spending the summer in an area without mobile coverage. These beasts were out of range in Kazakhstan all summer, and now once they reached the super expensive Iran and Pakistan, they are spewing out hundreds of text messages with their locations wrote Igor um, Karyakin of the Russian Raptors Research and Conservation Network. Scientists this week launched a campaign called Top Up the Eagles Mobile to keep the research going with the public's help after taking out a loan to paying for the text messages, which are costing 49 rubles each, or $1.12, instead of the usual price of 2 to 15 rubles. They really left us penniless. We had to take out a loan to feed the tracker device, Mr. Carriacan wrote on Friday. Bird lovers, however, have already contributed enough to last through the year. 
People are still spending money, so there is hope uh, sending money, so there's hope we can keep the Eagles' SIM cards roaming, running until they come back from their faraway journeys in early summer to Russia, where mobile connectivity is not so expensive. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't have thought a flock of birds would get impacted by roaming charges, but clearly they are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, I can see the funny side of this oh, yeah. on one hand, but it's not that funny. Um, what what concerns me is that uh, I, I don't know how often you know text messages are being sent because when I look at the cost, uh, I think it was went from like two rubles up to 50 rubles. I don't know really what the conversion is to mm. AUD. It doesn't sound like a lot, but if that's sending a text message every five minutes or whatever, I can see how it would deplete any available credit or whatever very quickly. And, and it sounds like what, what possibly could happen, because I'm assuming that the device that they have is probably like a little Raspberry Pi with a solar thing on there, and it's recording locations from a GPS signal when it's out of coverage, and it's sort of putting them in an outbox, you know, like when mm. you're doing emails in your outbox before you connect to, uh, like the old old dial-up days, you'd write, you know, all these emails and they'd sit in your outbox and the minute you connect, they all just get spewed out one after the other. I reckon all these text messages have lined up and then they've got back into coverage and all of a sudden, bang, 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 they've all just issued really quickly mm. and gone, yeah, we're going to cost a fortune. Yeah, yet. Mm. You're going to pay for that? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably what's happened, something like that. If, so, uh, if someone wants a good PR exercise, though, a telco should just go, we'll cover it. Well, yeah, you think the, the telco would come to the party and say, we'll help out, given it's scientific, you mm. know. We'll, we'll fit you on a uh, uh, an unlimited plan or we'll give you cheap text, whatever, I don't know. Um, but we, speaking of birds... We like to go on a, on a tangent. Oh, of course, we can go on a tangent. That's what we do here, right? Yes. Um, you know about the Collins Street Falcons, right? Um, I've heard about them, but you you tell us a bit more. Okay, so uh, here in Melbourne, we have uh, a building. We have a street called Collins Street, and on that street, we have a building at three hundred and sixty-seven Collins Street, which I think is occupied by Optus. Um, at the top of this building is it's it's where uh, falcons every year come to nest. And the building management, which, which I believe is Mervac and Optus, have teamed up together to put a year-long webcam pointing at the nest. And it, it's used so, number one, the public can go, oh, cool, falcons, but it's also used by a local uh, scientific group to monitor the health and uh, breeding patterns of, of these falcons. Um, so... Every year for the past few years, myself and the collective Melbourne internet got very excited to see, um, you know, the, the falcon mum and dad have come along and with the eggs and, and getting suddenly there's... excited? Yeah, I think they get excited elsewhere and then they come oh. here to this. I don't know. I'm not a falcon expert. What do they call it? A falconer? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, they do. That's actually. what it is. Um, so, yeah, but you can check out, there's a dedicated website uh, we will put this into the show notes, uh, 367collinsfalcons.com.au. However, you probably don't want to go look at the webcam today, look at the site today. It has been taken offline uh, because one of the uh, maybe chicks, unfortunately, passed away. Mm. So I'm sorry to bring it down. Um, 
it has been a bit of a theme though the last couple of years where the chicks don't particularly fare well. Mm. So, and they were hoping that this year might be a bit different. But either way, three six seven collinsfalcons.com.au. There you go. So yes, and hopefully that'll be back up soon with some happy images. Yeah, hope so. Uh, one more story before we go to our interview. Uh, Sydney's autonomous shuttles to connect to live traffic data. Uh, Sydney's driverless shuttle bus service Olympic Park is set to become the first in the country to autonomously interact with live traffic conditions. Over the next six months, the Navia vehicles will communicate with traffic signals at the park to help them navigate intersections to connect passengers with Olympic Park station, restaurants and car parks. New South Wales Road Minister Andrew Constance announced a new service at the International Driverless Vehicle Summit in Sydney today. Constance said the new stage in the trial will help the state understand how autonomous vehicles connect to smart infrastructure like traffic signals and digital bus stops with services running every 10 to 15 minutes on weekdays. It also might make the experience a bit more engaging compared to the current cautious speeds and route. Uh, We now have two smart shuttles talking to the conditions and infrastructure around them, he said. Customers can get on board and test ride these buses over the next six months to help us gain insights on how autonomous vehicles can improve services and how this technology will shape our future transport. NRMA Chief Executive Rowan Lund added that although the shuttle has become a popular photo opportunity since its launch, their technology could be integral to improving road safety. Some 94% of crashes are caused by human error, so autonomous vehicles have the ability or have the potential to save thousands of lives and dramatically reduce congestion on our roads, Lund said. The thing I find funny, it's at Olympic Park in Sydney. There's no one there anyway, so it's probably an easy trial. Yeah. It is a dead zone during the day. Exactly. So I I know that autonomous vehicles have been making appearances around the country. So Latrobe Uni in Melbourne, uh, there was another trial in Sydney, but it wasn't at Olympic Park. Um, So I'm not quite sure how they're integrating it with uh, traffic lights Mm. and so forth. Uh, Is it basically to... Okay, I'm going to step back. So do these vehicles have a set route like a bus or is it just get in one and it'll take you around the area where you need to go well yeah i don't know um it it it, like you'd go oh well it can adjust its route to to be more efficient but then that's not the point of a shuttle service that picks up from set locations so Mm. um yeah because the way i'm i'm seeing it is if it's if it's a shuttle that you it'll take you where you need to go in a defined area it would interface with traffic lights and conditions to work out the optimal optimal route. Uh, I can't see how it's going to make any difference knowing the traffic traffic conditions if it's a set route. Yeah. be interesting. Particularly not at Olympic Park, which is a ghost. It's like Docklands was. Yeah. Is. It's worse. But, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Whereas Sydney have also got their autonomous trains now on the new line, but that's a set, that's a different type of thing because they're obviously on fixed tracks that are segregated from normal traffic and so on and so forth. Yeah, I really want to try those. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing it one day myself. But I'm told that Singapore have had those for quite a long time. Mm, Well, I'm going to Singapore in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, we were talking about roaming charges before. And while I know people in Australia have been doing it already because all of the carriers are on board now, but... I'm going to, even though we're only in Singapore for 36 hours, 
uh, I'm going to try a eSIM as a travel sim on my uh, iPhone XS um, and run that in conjunction with my uh, um, Telstra sim to see how they interact with each other. Um, but also, we'll be using public transport in Singapore. So if they've got autonomous trains there, I'll probably try one of those too. Give it a shot. Report back. I shall. I'll get photos. Please do. And of the trains as well. Yeah. Look into the chat room. Uh, Jay Byron says, Olympic Park now has many, many, many high-rise apartments. Uh, however, they are cheap, uh, cheaply built ones. And likely to collapse. Because they were the one, one of the ones that had cracks and they were evacuated for weeks was at Olympic Park in Sydney. I think, I, I think that that's been condemned, that particular mm-hmm. uh, building, or one of them has been condemned. Uh, and they're working out what to do with it. Uh, he also says there's lots of traffic, especially during swimming season. Ah. Okay. Um, look, I've been to Olympic Park once. That was a couple of years ago. And I went during a, a work day, during the day. And it was, it was dead. Yeah, I've been there twice. Once was to see an event at the uh, stadium. And the other time, which was probably not a good time to judge how busy it was, was because I went there for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that was rather busy at that period of time. Who won the Olympics? Um, well, the event that I went to, Australia did. I saw Australia win a gold medal. Sydney. Oh, yeah. Sydney. Sydney. No, it was Sydney. The funny thing about that, and I'm diverging, Go for is it. that at... I'm sitting in the middle of Olympic Park in, you know, the Cordenoff Olympic area and they had music playing and everything and one song that they played was the Whitlam's You Gotta Love This City, which is basically an ode to Sydney for selling its soul to get Olympic Games, which was played at the Olympic Games in Sydney. No one listened to the lyrics of that, did they? Also looking to the chat room, uh, Green Cows says also had autonomous buses or shuttles in South Perth. Not sure if it's still running, but it's another ghost town location. Where they ran it. Well, a lot of these trials are done in low traffic areas intentionally yeah. uh, because the technology is still very, very young. Uh, I would not put them into, the say, Melbourne CBD or Sydney CBD um, at this stage in their in their cycle. Absolutely. No, I think it's vandalised for one. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's not what happens here in Victoria. Anyway, uh, Andy, we're going to, instead of our regular... Um, uh, extended break we have about this time of the show. We've got a, actually an interview uh, that uh, Jess Reesby and I conducted about a week ago in lead up to an event uh, that started today. Uh, it's a bit of a contentious event. It's the International uh, uh, Mining and Resources Conference and Expo that's on at the uh, Exhibition Centre in Melbourne starting today. But the person that we spoke to is a gentleman by the name of Andrew Healy, and he is the technical director of a company called Concerto Analytics. It's doing a lot of um, analytics on autonomous vehicles in mines and things like that and collecting data on how to improve processes. Cool. And will they be interacting with traffic lights? Um, They may not need to in the middle of a mine, but uh, you never know. But uh, it uh, sounds really cool, and they're using cloud platforms and all that sort of stuff to monitor all this sort of stuff. So I know that uh, one of the mining companies over in, uh, in WI, I think it was, they had a runaway train, so like a very early version of their uh, autonomous vehicles. I wonder oh. if he was involved with that. Oh, who knows? Who knows? But we're going to play that interview now. It goes for a while, so sit back and relax and listen to... And I apologise to the audio we were doing. And I was doing it in a meeting room during my lunch break at work with over internet with not perfect microphones and things like that. But it still sounds all right. So we'll go to that now.
And welcome back to Geeks Interrupted here on 94.1 FM. We have a guest joining us uh, via the wonderful world of technology, and he is the technical director um, of a company based in Melbourne called Concerto Analytics. And welcome to the program, Andrew Healy. G'day, Andrew. How are G'day, you? G'day, Phil. It's, it's great to be on the show. Uh, tell us a bit about um, Concerto Analytics and what your role is. Right. So Concerto Analytics provides advanced business intelligence and modelling and simulation tools uh, for, for a range of industries, including mining. And my role as technical director is really looking at the product roadmap and, and ensuring that it really connects to help solve the big industry problems and the targeted sectors that we work in. And um, I was looking at, uh, at your website and... Um, one of the reasons why we are talking to you is that there's the IMARC, uh, the International Mining and Resources Conference, and you're going to be talking about your Symphony product. So tell us a bit about that because it looks really cool. Like, uh, you know, a lot of dashboards, a, a lot of um, simulations to drive business decisions and things like that. Tell us about that product and how... Like, what, what is the driver behind it? What are you pushing, particularly with the mining industry and things like that? Thanks, Phil. So the Concerto technology, it it's really has been born out of, out of working closely with industry. And in terms of working with a large tier one miner several years ago, we saw their frustration in being constrained to only what an SAP financials view provided of their, of their business. And they really wanted to understand their operations differently. They wanted to model them, to visualize them and simulate their operations and look for ways to optimize and improve the processes. So Andrew, once you've collected the data, how are you dealing with that? What technology partners are you using for, for your product? Phil, we're very excited on day one at, at iMark, we'll be launching our cloud product. Now, Google Cloud Platform is, is our technology partner, and we've chosen Google as the part as our technology partner because of their incredible roadmap, where ultimately, with the power of Google BigQuery and machine learning, our customers will be able to push staggering amounts of operational data from across their operations into Google Cloud Platform BigQuery for simulation, machine learning, and visualizing within our Concerto product right from their iPad. So, so you're using, you mentioned uh, Google machine learning, and I think it was vQuery you said there. How does that, uh, how does that work? And, and so Google, Google BigQuery, Google infrastructure is world-class in terms of its security and its world-class scalability. And Google BigQuery and the other technologies from Google Cloud Platform provide incredible capability for simulation and modeling. And essentially with machine learning that's embedded in Google Cloud Platform, you have the ability to try, take a whole quantity, huge amounts of historical data and apply machine learning over the top of it for predictive analytics. How long 
important is it that you've actually been involved in iMark and what got you really attracted to, to get on uh, board to the event? Because I know that that's happening uh, coming up from October 29th to the 31st, I believe, down at Melbourne Convention Centre. So, yeah, how did you guys uh, get involved in the event, Andrew? This is actually our fourth year at iMark and we're especially excited yeah. this year as we're launching our, our Concerto Cloud product and we'll be doing that on day one of the technology theatre. Um, obviously, you probably know we've got this uh, massive issue happening down, you know, considering some of these recent protests on climate action, uh, obviously it being a, a minerals uh, and resources convention. What do you think technology is going to uh, do to moving Australia towards a more sustainable economy? That's a great question. And essentially technology will play a really big part in that having more efficient processes reduces the, the, the greenhouse emissions of those processes. Uh, certainly, Concerto Analytics, we're seeking to have a positive environmental transformation in terms of the customers that we work with. Uh, right now, we're working with, with one of our partners, with one of their customers, on visualising what the mine of the future might look like the emissionless mine of the future in terms of electrification of mobile equipment, even future fleet design, shipping fleet design with different fuels, not necessarily diesel, but possibly LNG, uh, reducing, uh, you know, obviously carbon emissions and really looking at leveraging alternative and renewable sources. Uh, of, of energy and fuels going forward. So certainly the, the mining industry is thinking along those lines and you'll see large action being taken by a lot of the large miners you know, environmentally. Just have a look at some of their websites front and centre. We've got coming up as well, uh, smack bang in the middle of this event, a transport logistics uh, and autonomous vehicles event. So I mean, would you say that IoT and technology such as what you guys have got over at Concerto is going to be uh, the backbone of moving our, our mining industry towards this more sustainable and you said emissionless <laughs> sector? Is that a possibility? And, and what are your thoughts on uh, these, these robotic mines and, and all of that sort of so, thing? So IoT... IoT is obviously central to the digital mind and the, the concept of the digital mind. And as we know, it's really about connecting all things, you know, to the internet and to each other. So in the context of mining, connecting vibration sensors on a pump. And, you know, if you think about all the different equipment and at, whether it be mobile or fixed, you know, RFID tracking on, on personnel hard hats, this type of ability to collect massive amounts of data for analysing and extracting value in terms of streamlining operations and automation does contribute significantly to, to lower, uh, you know, lower environmental impacts. If you have any challenges when the more data you have, we, we're obviously in a world of big data at the moment, um, and do you have challenges dealing with a inner mining operation of how you collect that, or is that something that 
you know, you, you consult on the infrastructure required or how, how does that sort of fit into getting as much as you can to make those informed decisions through? So through the really great question. Obviously, one of the great challenges, and this is not just a mining challenge, it's, it's a challenge that all the industries are facing. It's how to extract value from these vast amounts of data that are being collected. When you have hundreds of thousands of sensors in real time feeding data into at some form of data lake, uh, which is a massive collection of sensor data, being able to analyze that and draw real-time value or historical historical analysis to use for predictive uh, uh, you know, modeling techniques to derive more value is one of the really big challenges. What have you seen in terms of your business and getting involved uh, with these mining companies? Are they investing towards uh, a cleaner future or is it just, um, you know, all talk? What, what are yours? What are you so seeing again, there, Andrew? Uh, on day one in the technology theatre, where we have a speaking slot and we'll be talking, although we're under NDA, about one of the projects that we're currently engaged in in terms of looking at the future of really driving emissions out of the mining process, uh, you know, in terms of that electrification, alternative fuels, uh, of, you know, renewable uh, resources and really working towards environmental targets. Uh, certainly, we will be talking more about that at, uh, at IMARC. So, so the big miners are working actively uh, on environmental agendas. Just for the listeners out there, if you do want to get along to the expo, um, you can actually attend the expo space uh, with with a free ticket. So you can find that online. There are obviously purchase tickets to get in to listen to talks like what we're going to see Andrew do, which I'm really excited to hear, buddy. Um, but if you want to come along and just actually um, get amongst it, see all the exhibitors, uh, that's actually free. So that's happening down at the convention centre from the 20. 9th and 31st you can register online I think. We encourage people to do that now before we will going to wrap it up in a moment but I suppose I'm going to ask a, a sort of a personal question of you Andrew because um, I'm sure people are, are interested in in the field that you're in so you're looking at your profile you um, did a Bachelor of Business and Bachelor of Information Systems at Swinburne with honours and so what what attracted you obviously into to information technology, but into the data world and and um, looking at, you know, these sort of problems and that led you to uh, Concerto. data is just abundant everywhere and certainly in industry and really the, you know, the analytics to drive value and opportunity and improvement is is such a, a, a fantastic area to work in. And I guess that was one of the driving forces behind my, my career choices in this regard, Bill. From a, a moral perspective, we are in a world where we're collecting a lot of data um, across all of our lives, whether it be governments, banks, telcos, and things like that. How do you look at it from a from an industry perspective? Um in terms of the tightrope between 
collecting as much data for the, for your clients um, compared to uh, collecting data on whether it be individuals um, and and using that in in the in a way that sort of benefits everyone. If that makes sense, like I'm sure that there's a moral tightrope to fall. Um, and mining industry, as I said, was is a bit different, but um, because you're obviously dealing with business processes. But from a from a moral philosophy, do you have a, a an opinion on that, or is it you're Look, you're it a does. data person, and or does, does that make sense? With what's happened with Facebook and data breaches and privacy breaches, uh, and some of the the new legislation that's forming to protect the individuals in terms of privacy. That's good corporate citizen. That, that's a critical element of it, Phil. From our point of view at Concerto Analytics, we're doing a lot less yep. with individuals' data and, to your point, more uh, with large mm-hmm. enterprise process and, and, and uh, you know, in the case of mining, mining-related data sets. And, you know, we, we feel that how we you know our corporate responsibility here is to really help the miners themselves streamline their processes in in the case of you know their carbon footprint helping them model it to visualize it to optimize and understand how better decisions can be made in in that space environmentally and and, you know our product supports that 94.1 fm 3wbc we're on Instagram. Just search for at Geeks on Air. Hashtag Instagram, hashtag influencer, hashtag radio, hashtag geeks, hashtag mayonnaise, hashtag app, hashtag tweet WBC, hashtag geek, hashtag hashtag, hashtag social media, hashtag selfie. And welcome back to the second hour, or second 50 minutes left of the Geeks Interrupted for another episode. We just uh, had an interview there with Andrew Healy from Concerto Analytics. Um, a bit dry in parts, but uh, it was interesting nonetheless. There was questions I actually asked him during the interview that we couldn't include because he was under a non-disclosure agreement for some of the things. But it was really cool, uh, some of the stuff that they're doing with big data. Interesting. And who was that again? It was... Andrew Healy from Concerto Analytics. So they're from... And Jess Reesby obviously was part of that. Um, and he's doing some Melbourne company, but doing presentation at the mining conference in Melbourne this week. Cool, and I'm just looking through the chat room. Uh, everyone in there, listen to that interview. Uh, uh, and really enjoyed it, and uh, had some comments, some positive comments to make as the interview went went along. So uh, we should do more of those interviews. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll make them more exciting next time. Don't worry, but uh, it was interesting nonetheless. Um, a bit of a dry topic, but if you could really drill down on the, the discussion, pardon the pun, because it's a mining discussion, it would actually be quite cool. Um, Andy, what have you been up to this week? I think we've already done this bit. Uh, we'll do a bit, a bit more. Bit of TV, a bit of Netflix. Um, uh, what have I done? Not a lot. Uh, coming up to the end of the uni year, so I've got the final class tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday, for those on the podcast, and then it's exams later, oh, towards the end of November, one exam to do. Um... There's really nothing to study for, though, because it's one of those exams where they give you the case study right. in advance. So you get it a week before the exam, and you know you read the case study, and then you go in, and they give you some questions. 
about the case study. Um, but we've been told that we're not, we're not getting any clues or hints. Mm. But what uh, has been made very clear is you need to know this case study inside out. And obviously you get a copy in the exam as well. Yeah. But uh, it was really drummed into which you really need. You can't just glance over it and go, yep, okay, cool. So a bit of additional pre-reading on the case study. A lot. A lot of pre-reading. Right. So it's going to be interesting. Um, so I don't know whether the lecturer is actually deliberately trying to scare us or just trolling us. Or trying to give some pressure under exam mm. uh, circumstances, even though um, you have a heads up of what it's sort of about. Yeah. But tell me, you went to uni, right? Yes. What was one thing you hated about uni classes? Um... I'll be very specific. Mm. Uh, commercial law tutorials uh, and commercial law lectures, just commercial law. Okay. Well, I'm going to say group assignments. Oh, well, yeah, I had that issue too. Yeah. Uh, so I'm only doing the one subject this semester. Um, and we have an interesting mix of students. We have some overseas students and local students. And our lecture is pretty chill. He says, as long as you get the work in, I'm not too fussed about the due dates. As long as, you know, it's reasonable. So if you're a week late, I'm not too fussed. And that goes for your individual assignments, your group assignments and so forth. But as long as you're making the effort, I'm not fussed about the due dates. Yep. Um, one of our group assignments was due a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I had already formed a group and was dealing with some students that I work with, with other in other courses. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I was very quick to get them together. Harangued. Yep. Uh, one of the international students came to me the day before and mm. said, so we need to form a group, right? When's the, when's the assignment due? And right. it was so hard to say, well, maybe if you didn't play with your phone every class and actually listen to what was going on, you'd know that it was actually due tomorrow and you should have formed your group weeks ago. Right. Yeah. So. So when I was at uni, it was pre-smartphone. Um, it was Wi-Fi time, but pre-smartphone. And um, there was one particular course that I did, and I can't remember the name of it. But effectively, it was in an environment of you, you run it like meetings at your office. So you know you have an agenda. It's like you know occupational um, intelligence or something like that. So half of us had all been – so what what the, the group was made up – because I was a part-time student. So half of us were full-time employees. So we worked during the day. We went to courses at night. And the other half were generally international students who were doing night classes so that they could um, stack all of their lectures and what have you in like one or two days. Mm -hmm. So do, you know, course subjects during the day and then they do these – the business type subjects at night when there was heaps of availability so they could do it all at once. And they'd sit there on a translator the whole time. And while there was an inter a language barrier, but it was not just the language barrier, it was also the people who were working full-time were in the, in the uh, world where we did meetings and we ran agendas and so on and so forth. So it was very second nature type scenario compared to um, these guys who had a language barrier and the not the business experience as well. Mm. And that was quite frustrating. 
Looking to the chat room, uh, Joe Byron says, group assignments sucks. Uh, specifically, group assignments with international students. Um, yeah. And it was just, I think it was unfortunate because I feel, I do feel for them, but uh, the, the uni just goes, well, we'll, t- we'll take your money and just dump you into class. Pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, they need to provide better support to them as well. Look, let's be fair. I think some of them genuinely struggle. Oh, which is not course. their fault as such, but no. some of them do genuinely struggle. They, a lot of them have come to uh, study in Australia for better opportunities. And yes. Good on them. I say good on for that. And, you know, it can be can be hard. But you do get the ones who just want to coast through. Yeah. Be lazy, coast through. And you can, you can, you can tell who, who is who in those two categories. Absolutely. Uh, Green Cow says the biggest issue at uni was when they raised the price of chips and gravy from two dollars to two dollars fifty, and I got the student union involved. <laughs> That's not what the student union's for. But see, uh, my my issue with uni was actually the the uh, class, the university itself at times because I remember getting emails going, um, "We would really like your feedback on how you're adapting as a mature age student." Uh, the time that we have, we're prepared to offer you a $20 Coles Meyer voucher for, for your time. Um, and we'd like you to come in at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm working full time. I don't think 2 p.m. on a Wednesday for a $20 voucher is really going to encourage me to go in there. How about you hold it at a different time? Well, if you're a poor uni student... I don't you know, know, living you, on two-minute noodles, that'd be fantastic. But it was but targeted to me as yeah. a mature-age student. Yeah, I understand. They don't really think when they schedule do this stuff, no, do they? No. no. Um, anyway, that's what I've been up to. Yes. Um, you were telling me during the break that you've been skinning cats. Yes, I have been skinning cats. Well, not really, but that's okay. Um, I'm not into animal cru- cruelty. But I, that was supposed to be a segue into something, and I have no idea why. No, no. I, I was trying to be smart, because you uh, said you were, you were stripping Yes, I think I mentioned on the show last week, sorry, I, I just didn't take the, the hint on the segue there, Andy. Um, I mentioned on the show last week, my electrician um, in building my house didn't cable some of the cables properly. So I've been re-doing um, some of the network cables um, to get my network running and uh, I'm not very good at holding the eight Cat6 strands in the right order and then shoving them into the plug and crimping them. Uh, so that they work first time. So, And the only way you can test it is to crimp it because it won't fit into the network tester before uh, before you crimp it. Mm-hmm. So it becomes quite painful. So I've gone through about you know 10 or 15 uh, um, uh, network plugs. So yes, okay, I'm so missing something in the chat room. Yeah, so have you actually finished all your, all your, your network cabling? Or have um, you still got some to go? And I've got a couple to go for some CCTV. See... So y- for me, um, rather than go through the drama of crimping and stripping and all that sort of crap, I would just pay someone on Airtasker to come and do it for me. Oh, that would be a smart thing to do, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it is you we're talking about. So. Yeah, no, well, I like the challenge. Hmm. I like the challenge even more when I run out of cable because I've used all the slack. But anyway. So, yes, but other than that, uh, I have, um, in the world of tech, I've also been setting up my Sonos system properly. Like, I've had elements of it running, but I've now probably set it all up together, and it's working really nicely, except for the TV that I have in the bedroom that have a, has now has a sandbar to it. I, it's an older TV and worked out it doesn't have an audio return channel on my um, 
mm. on the TV. So rather than deal without the soundbar, I cracked the sheets and went and bought a new TV for the bedroom today. So, um, yeah, I, I just am spending money left hand over fist um, and I'm going to be very poor soon. Good so thing you're not at uni. Exactly right. So there you go. Yeah, cool. Anyway, that's what we've been up to this week. We're going to continue, though, with the news, Andy. And uh, there was one big thing that happened last week, and that was Mark Zuckerberg, uh, not to be um, uh, confused with his alter ego name, was grilled in Congress over Libra. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg conceded on Wednesday that the company's debt-planned digital currency Libra was a risky project but sought to reassure sceptical U.S. lawmakers that it could lower the cost of electronic payments and open up the global financial system to more people. Zuckerberg also fended off aggressive questions on election interference, free speech, hate groups, and fake news from members of the House of Representatives Financial Services Committee. Representative Maxine Waters, the panel's fiery Democratic chair, quizzed Zuckerberg uh, on Facebook steps to combat misinformation and voter suppression ahead of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. She also suggested policymakers should consider breaking up Facebook. Waters had said had previously called for halting the Libra project before its planned 2020 launch and has drafted legislation that would bar tech companies from entering financial services. It would be beneficial for all if Facebook concentrates on addressing its many existing deficiencies and failures before proceeding any further on the Libra project. Uh, they told Zuckerberg two days after Facebook disclosed it had removed a network of Russian accounts targeting, targeting U.S. voters on its Instagram platform. Republican and Democratic lawmakers alike blasted Facebook for failing to crack down on child exploitation and political misinformation and for data privacy lapses. Several said they did not trust Facebook to help fi- provide financial services to, to its 2.4 billion users given the past scandals. Facebook's internal model for a long time was move fast and break things, Mr. Zuckerberg said. We do not want to break the international monetary system, uh, said Representative uh, uh, Nadia um, Velazquez, a Democrat. Velazquez. She certainly with that name is not going to be a Republican. Uh, Zuckerberg said that Facebook would insist on US regulatory approval before launching Libra, which is being established by a Switzerland-based consortium, including venture capital firms and non-profits. He said Facebook would even leave the Libra Association, if other companies sought to launch the currency without that sign-off. Libra has faltered in recent weeks amid sustained criticism from lawmakers and regulators globally over fears it may aid money laundering and upend the global financial system. Several financial partners, including MasterCard, Visa, PayPal and eBay, have abandoned the project. A bit of a long preamble into that. So basically, they're going, we're concerned about Libra, and the fact that you stuffed up things like the election and you can't handle child exploitation and you've got bad history of getting things right the first time, we don't think you should be doing it. Mm. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. Look, one of the big criticisms of this is the idea itself is not bad. I've got no problem with uh, a cryptocurrency or payment platform like this being established. I have an issue with Facebook, Facebook's involvement in it, and I also have an issue with Facebook's involvement right now. As I said, I think it was last week, 
Facebook need to be concerned about getting their house in order, not looking at new business ventures. And this is not like it's not like Facebook's future depends on Libra going ahead. They're one of the richest companies in the world. They're going to survive without this. They should be focusing on getting their house in order, winning back public trust, including you know regulator trust, operating, what's the word I'm looking for here, responsibly. Yep. Then start proposing payment platforms and secondary business ventures. Should they really even be proposing a payment flat- platform though? Or a currency to deal with a payment platform? No. Um, one thing that did this, this I'll, I'll start again. One thing that did disappoint me uh, was Visa, Mastercard, and PayPal walking away from the project. I mean, they probably had very, very good reasons to, in doing so yep. because they weren't confident with the way it was going and not happy with the exposure and so forth. However, I would have liked them to have stayed. Because what do those companies do? Payments. Yeah. They have the expertise and knowledge to implement something like this effectively. And the Libra Foundation or Association, whatever it's called, would have benefited immensely from their involvement. Now, with more and more companies walking away from the project, there's a good chance that Facebook will just try and get it off the ground by themselves or without that expertise, and it's going to be uh, a mess. You see where I'm going with no, that, No, no, no. I totally agree with you. Do, and, and I don't... And I agree with all the comments in terms of um, the companies involved or companies not involved now, so on and so forth. But if we then go and say... Let's look at it from a different perspective. Is the government re- a government's anti this project because they are concerned that, or one of the concerns they've got with cryptocurrency, we'll talk, we'll say Bitcoin, is that it has the potential to um, circumvent money laundering um, uh, laws or international transfer laws in terms of tracking where money's going whether it be for taxation or legal purposes, does the... And and even though Bitcoin is sort of mainstream, it's not really mainstream. Does Libra, if it went through as it was originally slated, does it effectively mainstream untraceable cash? Now, I'm sure that they probably would put some levels into it to try and get regulatory approval, but is the government against, are they using Facebook as a, um, as a crux to knock it back or are they just actually concerned about cryptocurrency used worldwide to potentially avoid taxation? Okay. Everything that I've read, uh, about these hearings have been more focused on Facebook's involvement as opposed to the the core regulatory issues. Right. Um, From what I understand, and again, I'm happy to be corrected here, uh, Libra is not designed to be anonymous. And is that part of the problem too? Is that part of the problem too? Well, it's a good thing. Um, The the idea, it's much like, you know, a a pay ID or whatever. It's all 
uh, everything is logged, uh, trackable, and so forth. It's yep. not designed as a traditional Bitcoin-style cryptocurrency, which can be anonymous or semi-anonymous. Um, this is really just Facebook wanting to get into the cryptocurrency space, payment platform, yep. to complement a lot of their services and so forth already available on Facebook. And and look, to be perfectly honest, one advantage that they would have by doing that, if you're buying advertising on Facebook, the cost of a ad impression is one Libra. Mm. And they can advertise the same pricing worldwide. Yeah, uh, exactly. But a lot of the concerns being raised by the hearings, committee members and so forth, is not so much the, or how are we going to combat you know, um, transact drug transactions or what have you. It's more about Facebook's involvement and why they are so keen to get into this space. And uh, also, uh, we mentioned it. It was um, uh, the election. We have the election yeah. coming up, and because there's been talk, of course, of the previous election. What was it? Twenty sixteen. Yes. Uh, how Facebook was used as a tool to influence the outcome of the election. Not Facebook itself. I mean, Facebook had no no part in it. It was more third-party actors. Yep. The Russians. Clanker in the chat room says, most money laundering is done by banks in US dollar. Obviously, that is the opinion of our listener. We'll just throw that out there. Um, Bitcoin ledger is a permanent record, not good for crime. Uh, or, as he said, pseudonymous. Yeah, there was a story that appeared uh, either ABC or The Age during the week. Um, happy to be corrected, I have to find it, which said that uh, a number of people, I believe in Australia and worldwide, uh, were tracked down um, because they'd paid for to access or retrieve child pornography using Bitcoin. Mm. And they'd clearly use the service thinking it was anonymous, they'd get away with it. But uh, the police or whoever it was that was investigating managed to track them down very, very easily. Mm. So, there you go. yeah, don't use it for child porn. Well, don't buy a job on <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yes. Do we need a disclaimer there? Um, probably, <laughs> but we understand what the point you were trying to make. We hope so. Uh, but very, very quickly, I know that you're very big on this, Phil. Uh, you've been speaking about the whole $10,000 limit. Yes. Yep. Uh, did you read during the week that they're looking at softening the rules around that? I, don't, I did, and I don't quite understand... People, the people who are making, who have issues with it, seem to be, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't see the issue. Like, if if you said to me, if you came to me, Andy, and said, uh, I want to, if I I you I came to your business and said, uh, I'd like you know, a new server array, um, website services, whatever, so on and so forth. And you go to me, that's $12,000. There is no possible way that I'm ever going to pay you in cash. And when, when I say cash, I'm talking cold, hard money. Yeah, it, it's likely to be an electronic or perhaps a check, bank yeah. check, something like that. And so most people who conduct business this way do it that way. So I don't understand why there's this opposition to... Um, this sort of uh, this sort of thing, and then you know, are they saying people can't give money in cash? Well, the thing is, if I go to a bank and take out ten thousand dollars in uh, twelve thousand dollars in cash right now, so over the ten thousand dollars, that's actually a reportable transaction already. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and if you go and take $1,000 out this week and $1,000 out next week and the week after, it's not tracked and you can still do it in that, that way. I just don't understand well, what, what all this issue is. Yeah, uh, I, I see the point. Uh, these days, people don't pay in, in cash, not to that value. It's very, very rare. Uh, that said, a friend of mine bought a new car. Mm. Uh, during the week, ended up getting a uh, Toyota Rav4 Hybrid. Uh, bought when I say a new car, he got a, um, a demo that had a couple thousand yep. k on it. Uh, but he walked in, uh, said, uh, "I want that uh, demo you've got for sale. I'm paying cash." And uh, you know, when you say paying cash, that means not not most people might think to mean not paying on credit or finance. Yeah. So I'm going, uh, you know, straight transaction. Um, he actually wanted to go to the bank, withdraw the forty grand in cash, and pay Toyota Why? in cash because he had the money there, and it meant he got the car there and then, no clearance times, nothing like that. And he said Toyota told him, "No, it has to be a bank check or yeah, or whatever. That's just the rules we have at the dealership. We'd, we'd happily take the cash, but we but want the cost it. for them to actually managing." Because you'd go, okay, so did, do you know if he went in on a weekday or a weekend or anything like that? Uh, we're in a weekday, I think. Okay. Because the thing is, if you go in on a weekend they've got to, and you give them the money, they're going to go, well, what am I going to do with $40,000 in cash for two days until the bank opens? Mm. That's number one. Um, on top of that, really, go and spend five bucks on a bank check. And really, the people who are potentially impacted by these rules, uh, most we'll, we'll, we'll stereotype and say that they're the, an older population who may still use passbooks and things like that, like my mother-in-law does. Or the tin under the bed. Yes. Um, if you're a senior citizen or whatever, the bank should be able to give you a free bank check. Mm. Plain and simple. Yeah. But look, you'd be happy to know that he did end up driving to the bank and getting a bank check. Same day. For the cost, you know, for $5. Five bucks. Um, but let's put it this way. He's he's not particularly savvy when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, but he literally wanted to withdraw the cash. And he's savvy it. enough to have 40 grand. I got a lot more than that. I'm not no, telling no, you his name. No, no. Yeah. But fact um, back, back is he's happy. He's got a brand new car. That's what, I want it. one of those hybrids, those RAV4 hybrids. Well, the things I know we've spoken about, we're going way off topic, but who cares? We've got time. Uh, yeah, because we've got nothing. Nothing in the cupboard tonight, have we? No. Yeah. It's um, been a quiet week. It has. Um, so he wanted the Rev4 hybrid. Well, he wanted a Rev4. And I, I steered him towards the hybrid because he's using it for, for rideshare almost oh, full time. He's retired, so he wants something to do with his with his time. Um, uh, and he is very, very, I want, the, I want the Rev4. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. And he went to Toyota and they said to him, you know, we, we're talking... Four, six months at least yeah. as a wait list. And he goes, but I want it now, like a toddler. You know, well, I want it now. So basically found out that if he bought a demo, he'd get it straight away. So he said, I don't care if it's got a few thousand K on it. It's going to be used for Uber. You know, it's not like I yeah. want it's it. It's not for, like you can sit there doing nothing. Yeah. So went that option and he's happy. Nice car. Mm. It looks very cheap inside. Has he got a base model, has he? Hmm. I looked at it for maybe two minutes. Okay, I was the, I was a bit drunk at the time. The one the good thing is is that the um, the Toyota Rav fours will be the first, even though they're not technically available right now. They're the first Toyotas in Australia to have 
CarPlay. Yeah, we t- I tried to get him set up with CarPlay. But it made, it's not available and it's a free update with a service later in the next couple of months. Uh-huh. Interesting, because that would explain why I couldn't find it in the system. But again, as I said, I was drunk at the time. I had like four glasses of wine at his house and I was like, hey, let's go for a drive. And he's like, no, Andy, you probably shouldn't be driving. Yes, probably yeah. a good idea. Uh, Cloinca chat room says negative interest is coming and they, of course, want everyone to keep their funds in the bank. So what happens if there's negative interest? They're not going to take money from us. We no, just don't get anything. I think I think what will happen is that it's not good for savings that you'll almost, you'll probably have zero you'll and zero interest, but then you're covered under bank guarantees and things mm. like that for the money staying in a bank account. Um, the idea is that um, banks, if you've got a, an interest rate of half a percent, the banks are still going to have mortgage rates at four percent because of the way funding goes and where they get their money from. So they will drop it back another level um, to try and get them to reduce it more. Mm. But yeah, I don't think it's the right way to stimulate the economy. So how did we get on to this? Oh, that's right. Facebook is bad. Yes. We're going to go to a track and we'll come back with entertainment straight after this on Geeks Interrupted. Geeks Interrupted. We're still hoping for a Netflix revival series. That's right, we are still hoping for a Netflix revival series. In the chat room, uh, we had Cloinka. Um, no, was it yeah, Cloinka talking about, uh, we, were, we were talking about hand over fist. I was early and he said double the fist. And speaking of double the fist, Melissa Fistrick with Fizzy Nights will be up with, uh, well, she's fisty. They're laughing in the back studio. I was trying to do a crappy segue. They're laughing at you. Yeah, of not course they're laughing. Oh, no one laughs with me. Never. Anyway, entertainment time. We've got some sad news, Andy. Actor, actra, actress and activist Anne Phelan, best known for her breakthrough role as Myra Desmond in 80s soap Prisoner, has died aged 75. The veteran star spell on Australian screens stretched out over five decades with regular roles on TV favourites, including Bellbird, Blue Healers, Neighbours, and more recently as gross family matriarch Nana Dot in Sevens, Winners, and Losers. In 2000, she won an AFI Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role in a Television Drama for her turn in the ABC miniseries Something in the Air, alongside Eric Banner. She also appeared in films such as 1999's The Crack, 2009's Charlie and Boots, playing a female truckie in both, and most recently in this year's box office topping, Ride Like a Girl. On stage, she acted in over 50 plays. Renowned for her activist work, Phelan was a patron of Positive Women Victoria, an advocacy, advocacy group supporting women living with HIV, AIDS, and member um, and a member of Actors for Refugees. In 2007, she received a Medal of the Order of Australia in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for her service to the arts as an actress and to the community, particularly through support for women living with HIV virus and for asylum seekers and refugees. In December 2016, she received the Equity Foundation's Lifetime Achievement Award. Anne was simply one of the best humans, MEAA Equity Federal President Chloe Dallimore said in a statement. She was lauded, a lauded actor for incredible body of work in our industry, but most importantly, a woman with huge zest for life and a deep love for her union. I'm reassured that in receiving the 2016 Equity Lifetime Achievement Award, Annie knew how adored and revered she was by all of us. Now, sad news. Um, obviously, when um, you know what uh, work Anne Phelan had done, you instantly recognisable. 
across a number of projects in Australia, but I was not aware of her significant activism and uh, charity work. Yeah, neither was I. Um, so she's one of those actors who, I mean, she's a veteran actor, been in a lot of stuff, mm. but not a name or a face you may instantly recognise. Yeah, so you wouldn't know the name, but when you saw her on screen, you went, That's her. Exactly. I mean, I know who, who she is, yes. but she's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, A-list, you yes. know, so forth. Not, I mean, you know what I'm trying to no, say. No, no disrespect. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So it is sad news, but um, I had no idea, as you mentioned, about her, her activism. Which was quite res- um, uh, outstanding, to be honest. Yeah. So she will be sorely missed. Yeah. So uh, what was it called? Positive Women Victoria. Mm. I have not heard of that group before. No. Neither have I. But yeah. uh, but amazing, amazing work. But then again, I don't think she was in it for recognition. Clearly not. So. Clearly not. Um, bit of a turn. We'll go on to our next topic, though. Um, this is a bit of a, a, a an opposite um, rather than you know a strong female activist. Oh, okay. Australian <laughs> men's magazine, the picture in the sixty-nine-year-old People magazine, will close at the end of the year, ending decades of printed weeklies featuring topless models and readers' sex stories. Their publisher, Bauer Media, was forced to axe magazines after retailers lined up to ban them from sale at service stations, and readership fell to 0.02% of the population for over 14 for People magazine and 0.01% for Picture. They are already banned from sale in supermarkets. Discussions to close the People, uh, Picture and People magazines have been taking place as the magazines have lost ranging uh, visibility, or brackets visibility, which has affected their commercial viability. As closures impact a number of people, including some staff and suppliers, they need to be well considered and timed appropriately. Magazines will be closing at the end of the year and we're working closely with staff to find suitable redeployment. So there you go. So um, mechanics waiting rooms will never be the same again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, can I have a rant sure. about this? Um, okay. Uh, number one, I think the reason uh, this is... The publication is ceasing is because people don't buy magazines anymore. I think that's the primary reason. Primary reason. Um, now, I admit that I used to buy these magazines, not for the porn, but for the puzzles. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but they did have some really, really good crosswords. It had a full-page crossword, and I love doing crosswords, so I used to buy them for the crosswords. A-R-E-O-L-A. Yeah, the boobs were just a, you know, a bonus, I guess, on top of that. Um Let's put it this way. Those magazines, I don't want to call them smutty, but it was, here are boobs. Here's a naked girl. It wasn't demeaning, though, as such. If anything, one person I saw uh, on the internet described them as empowering because they allowed uh, women to send in nude photos of themselves and uh, homegirls, they were usually called. Are called, um, you know, it, it's basically saying it doesn't matter if you are, you know, short, tall, overweight, thin, be proud that, you know, we, we're happy to publish your photo. But now you can just set up an Instagram account. Well, you can now, not anymore. And as long as you have the little superimposed stars as pasties, you can do whatever you like. Yes. But one of the reasons this has come about is because um, uh, a lady who I will describe as a very angry feminist, uh, got the shits up because she saw them for sale in BPs and 7-Eleven service stations and went on some 
angry little campaign to have them removed because we can't ever look at naked women's bodies because that's shameful and sinful. Uh, 7-Eleven responded by saying something on the lines of they don't fit with our values, so we've ordered them to be removed from all of our stores. Well, they fit your values for the last 20 years they've been on sale in 7-Eleven stores, so why do they suddenly not fit your values now? Yeah, I agree. Um, the I don't even well to be perfectly honest, I don't even know what's still published in terms of adult um, pictorial content. Um, uh, these magazines were never sealed, um, unlike other products, and I don't know if sealed products are still available in the. Uh, in those particular service centres. I can understand why supermarkets would have stopped selling them because mm-hmm. they obviously are after a family market and as much as we want equality for all, uh, they are primarily uh, pushed towards women as the primary shopper. Um, so that's one reason why they would have gone that way. But look, there's there's all the... One, the a company would have been had their sales cut because places weren't selling them. But they just weren't selling them anyway. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, probably. I think, so. you know, they they can turn it around. They could turn that around and say, I mean, they've been honest and said, it, we're not generating the revenue. But reality is, is we can go, well, it's not making any money, but we're getting rid of it for moral reasons. But really, it's, if it was making a lot of money, they still wouldn't, they wouldn't have got rid of it. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And in the scheme of things, those magazines weren't that bad. Yes. As, as the way I see it, you know. Yes. Um, but are they still selling things like... I, mean, I think Dolly's being discontinued. Is Cosmo oh, um, still going? Yeah. Magazines... Uh, are, um, no, Cosmo's finishing. Cosmo, Cosmopolitan still... Uh, still oh, no, Cosmo too? might. Cleo's finished. Dolly's definitely gone. There's quite a number of, uh, of things that have, have hit, the, mm. uh, hit the dust. Look, can, let's be honest here. Um it was a bit of a favourite with the tradies, mechanics, you know, things like that. Mm. Bit of fun. Um, the point is that with this ma- these magazines going out of print, there's still porn on the internet. People are just going to shift oh, to the internet. I, I don't think it, it's not... Um, it's not a change in the type of information people are accessing. It's, it's reflecting on how they access it. Mm-hmm. The thing is, where am I going to get my crosswords from now? Take five magazine, and you could win money, Andy. No, that's disgusting and sinful and de- demeaning to. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to sound, you know, outraged. Come buy a book. You can buy a book full of like Sudoku. Maybe I'll do the Guardian online crossword. Mm. You know what I love about the Guardian online? What the big thing that they tell you is donate money to them. Apart from that, money. the big yellow banner, uh, they don't censor anything. So if someone says the F word or the C word um, as, as a quote, they publish that direct quote without censoring. Mm. Interesting. So why isn't this angry lady getting upset about that? Who knows? Oh, she's too worried about boobs because they're we can't have people seeing boobs, can we? Anyway. Yeah. Boobs. Anyway. Enough of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to wade into it and get in more trouble, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> 
final uh, topic was that the final trailer for Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker drops last dropped last week. The project marks the ninth and final installment in the current Skywalker saga and third and final one in the current series that began with The Force Awakens in 2015. The surviving Resistance faces the First Order once more as Ray Finn and Poe Dameron's journey continues. With the power and knowledge of generations behind them, the fi- final battle commences. Uh, returning actors Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver, Lupita Nyong'o, Dom Hawkleys, and Kelly Marie Tran uh, join um, people like Junus Suatamo, who, who actually he's returning because he is Chewbacca now. Um, but joining Richard E. Grant, Dominic Monaghan, who was in Lord of the Rings and Lost, Matt Smith, Kerry Russell, Mark Hamill is returning. Anthony Dan- Daniels in Billy D. Williams' star by the role of Leia Organa will once again be played by Carrie Fisher using previously unreleased footage. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker opens on December 19th. Now, that's a bit of a press release version, but ticket sales did go online last week. Really? And I've bought them already. Cool. Unfortunately, we're not having a... Uh, a Star Wars event like we did four years ago for The Force Awakens because... Um, You're too lazy? No. I did well, that's inquire, part of the reason. I did inquire about it for The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. which is the last film, and uh, the cinema... I think this, when we booked it last time, we booked their biggest cinema and they kept coming back to me going, are you sure you want the big cinema? Are you sure you want it? I went, Yes. I do, and I think they regretted booking it for me. So when I went back for The Last Jedi, they were not doing um, group bookings until uh, a couple of days after release. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to give me the cinema because they know it's going to be popular and they want more money out of it. Of course. So you've watched the trailer though? Yes. Yep. What do you think? It looks pretty good. Um, J.J. Abrams is back, obviously, directing after having the last movie off. So it'll be interesting to see if he course corrects anything um, or if it's just going to be a rehash of something else. Who knows? But this will be the last in the nine-episode series. Disney will find a way to milk it. Oh, no, no. They're they're doing other things. So obviously as part of um, Disney+, Plus, which comes next month, there's The Mandalorian, which is a... Um, series set between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Um, apparently, some early reviews of 20 minutes of footage that reviewers have got said it looks amazing. Um, and then the Obi-Wan series will be out late next year. Um, and uh, the Colin Trevorrow, I think it was. Was it Colin Trevorrow? The, the guy who did... No, Gareth Edwards, who did the last... The middle Star Wars film, episode... The director. Uh, eight... Um, no, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. There you go. That's the name I'm not getting right. Colin Trevorrow was supposed to do this one got sacked. Um, Ryan Johnson, they've said, um, you can create your own trilogy. So he will create his own trilogy that's not part of the Skywalker saga, but set in that universe. So milk, milk, milk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got their money's worth out of it. They paid $4 billion for Lucasfilm, and they're well and truly making their money's worth mm. out of it. So you, you book tickets though? So Yes, so I uh, got gold class. Are you doing a midnight session? No. So a friend of mine who um uh friend of mine who I've been friends with for thirty something years now, we um have been we traditionally have done midnight sessions and we did so for all the prequels and obviously the Force Awakens, but we're getting a bit old, so we've booked a nine PM session in gold class for um the the Thursday night. 
Which is the opening day. day? Okay. Because I watched the trailer and I was like, yeah. It, yeah. it didn't it didn't grab me, to be honest. Uh, I, it's, I think because it's sort of... We haven't had... Like, it, it's expected rather than we're wait, hanging, hanging, hanging for new footage. But I think it'll be all right. Mm. I don't think it's going to be the greatest film of all time, but I think JJ knows the audience and will do it justice. With appropriate... Uh, lens flares, I hope. I throughout. hope he gets rid of. He doesn't do as many lens flares in this one. So yeah, there we go. Anyway, mm. that's it for geeks interrupted. We're finished with our entertainment section, so that was all very good, and uh, that's fantastic. We're done. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, it's and time to get out of here. It is Almost. time to get out of here. I just need to uh, um, uh, get the transition ready because I'm. Too busy talking about Star Wars. Cool. Have you got it ready now? Uh, it is just about ready. So oh, awesome. Yes. So it, it's all good. Production and values. Production values everywhere. So there you go. So thank you to everyone tonight who joined us in the chat room. We have a great cow, Gus and Jeannie Mouillet, Jay Barr and Clonka Collada, Zoe. Uh, Daniel was in there as well. Uh, Mark, he's in Cannes. Uh, Canberra. Canberra. Oh, no. oh, sorry. I was trying I to do the can. There you Bra. go. Peter Harvey. Gambra. He'll be back next week. Yes, he will. Anyway, thanks very much, Andy. Melissa Fistrick will be up next. Mm, stick around for that. Jump on our socials in the meantime. At Geeks On Air on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook, Andy. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Geeks Interrupted. Excellent. We'll see you all again next week, Monday night at 8 o'clock on your radio or device. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Geeks Interrupted podcast with Phil Edwards, Andy Bloom, and Mark McDowell. You can send your questions, comments, and feedback via geeksinterrupted.fm and catch the team on social media at Geeks On Air on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeksinterrupted. Don't forget to recommend us to your family and friends. Geeks Interrupted broadcasts each week from the studios of 94.1 FM 3WBC in Box Hill, Victoria. To check out more great community radio content, visit 3WBC.org.au. This is William. Let me take my love to me. Put on the telly. It's a good-looking kick. Birth of the Anzac League. 3WBC invites you to join our community radio family. You can learn new skills as a presenter, producer, or administrator, or perhaps you'd prefer to enjoy the social aspects. Memberships are also available for families and corporations. You can become part of a powerful local voice. For more information, go to www.3wbc.org.au and click on the membership link or call us during business hours on 9285 4846. 3WBC 94.1.
the voice of the inner east.